good day, everyone, and welcome to the Gulf Intelligence Daily uh, webinar. I am Vandana Hari, founder and CEO of Vanda Insights, uh, coming to you from Singapore today, where it's a lovely, hot, and humid afternoon. Um, I'd uh, invite you to welcome our guests, uh, speakers today, uh, Mark Oswald, uh, Chief Economist and Global Strategist at ADM Investor Services International, uh, Gulmira Razayeva, Founder and Managing Director, Eurasia Analytics, and uh, Daniel Rahmat, Senior Energy Consultant, Iran. So uh, as we start this uh, show today, uh, Brent has slipped uh, well below $93. And just to remind ourselves, it was uh, just a couple of days ago that it had uh, bounced above 95 And uh, of course, in the past few days and weeks, we have seen renewed predictions of the century mark for crude. Um, but let's let's start with the more uh, sort of immediate and dominating news headlines overnight, which was of course the the Fed decision, and um, yeah, perhaps more importantly, uh, Chairman Powell's remarks after the meeting yesterday. So, um, Mark, let me start with you. Um, the markets are digesting the the Fed's policy decision, of course. Uh, perhaps will continue to do so for uh, the rest of this week, um, as well as Powell's comments um, and the economic and rate trajectory projections by his peers. Any surprises for you there? And uh, how how would you say the oil market participants should be processing uh, everything that we heard from the Fed last night? Well, I suppose the biggest surprise in all of it really was the fact that they adjusted their rate rate forecast for 2024. So they've still got a one more rate hike priced in potentially for this year. I think that's um, that's not really a, a genuine threat. It's just to send a message to financial markets, don't price in rate cuts. <laughs> yeah, it's a very simple message. And it was reinforced by the fact that they've raised their forecast for next year from uh, a median rate of four of four and five eighths um, to five and one eighth for next year. So they're basically saying higher for longer. And if you haven't understood that, <laughs> um, we're really obviously falling on tone deaf ears. So in terms of the message for the oil market, I, I, th I think it's also the same message for the economy. You know, we've had 500 basis points of rate hikes in many countries. Um, at this particular point, arguing about whether we're going to have another 25 or 50 doesn't really matter. It's not material. It's not going to make much difference to the economic outlook. But if you look at the, the forecast for the economy, basically they're saying inflation is probably going to come down, um, uh, be a little le less than we thought. But unemployment is going to, you know, the labor market is going to remain very tight. Uh, and growth is turning out to be better than expected. So basically, I, I, th I think the simple message, and you're, you're seeing it in um, the EIA data yesterday on oil inventories, that um, <clears throat> there are signs, particularly for um, uh, distillates, i.e. diesel, 
um, that things are picking up, you know, particularly in the trucking sector. And that's a, that's an encouraging sign because that's been one of the areas where people have been concerned that the economy is actually slowing a lot more quickly than the Fed has been suggesting. Yeah, uh, there seem to be perhaps more worries, would you agree, uh, with regard to uh, the ECB having to continue increasing rates and uh, Europe's economy? I mean, we had some pretty um, pretty um, downbeat projections from the OECD earlier this week. Do, do you see that sort of contrast as well between the outlook over the US and the European economies? Yeah, I mean, the European economies, um, and this includes the UK, the outlook is not good. Um, and that's a, a very good reason. You know, okay, the ECB hasn't firmly signaled that it's in pause mode, but it, it is basically. And I suspect the Bank of England today also to pause rate hikes, uh, and also to signal that we're as Mr. Pill, the chief economist says, we're on table mountain, i.e. higher for longer. Okay. Okay, thanks for that, Mark. Uh, Gulmira, wonderful, especially to have you on the show today, you know, because uh, the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict has been uh, in the spotlight again, just in the past few days. Uh, so this is between uh, Azerbaijan and, and Armenia. Um, I, I'm sure there's plenty of history between these two neighboring countries that one could uh, unpack. Uh, but I'd like you to, to speak to the present, um, if you can, about you know what uh, implications do you see of this um, conflict uh, between the two countries? Especially, is is this causing tensions vis-a-vis -vis their relationship with Russia and their relationship with uh, Europe, uh, <clears throat> especially with regard to gas supplies uh, to Europe? Yes, that's indeed very important issue, and to put it very showed what happened yesterday is that, you know, um, um, after the war, uh, which broke up in 2020, uh, both President, President Aliyev and Prime Minister Pashinyan, they actually committed to sign peace agreement uh, and, and Armenia committed to withdraw its remaining military uh, troops, which is around 10,000 militants from the uh, from Karabakh, the you know, Azerbaijan economic zone of Karabakh. And uh, Baku has been quite patient waiting for three years before Armenia, you know, withdraws its military troops and uh, those militants put down their guns, disarmed, and finally peace comes to the region. But this never happened. So this never happened despite all the commitments that Yerevan took. So um, uh, uh, the Kansas Bell, uh, just the day before uh, uh, this happened, uh, you know, I, I have to say that the Armenians militants, they, they've been uh, committing uh, a number of uh, crimes and uh, actual terrorist acts towards the civilians in Karabakh, Azerbaijani civilians, putting mines uh, uh, on, on, on densely populated places, roads that being used, and just a day before this all happened, uh, six civilians were killed uh, uh, on those, uh, blown up on those mines. So that was kind of a causes bella. Then the Azerbaijan decided to start this anti-terror uh, act against these militants, remaining militants in Karabakh. So, uh, 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 well, the good news is that 
we finally reached ceasefire after 24 hours of, of this anti-terror uh, operation uh, uh, initiated by uh, Azerbaijan. Uh, ceasefire is reached. Uh, you know, they agree this actually criminal uh, military uh, uh, hunja they agreed to put their guns down and they start negotiations. So today, as uh, as of you know, in, in, in an hour or so, uh, they're gonna start negotiations. Azerbaijani side will start, uh, you know, uh, uh, talking with the representatives of uh, Armenian community, decent Armenian residents of that region uh, to, to, to find the ways of integration of this, you know, Armenians into the Azerbaijani society. And uh, uh, hopefully this will this will be uh, uh, done in smooth and peaceful way. Uh, uh, with regards to the, uh, you know, uh, its implications to oil and gas transportation. I don't see any negative implication on uh, energy transportation from this region, from Azerbaijan. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the gas gas export from the country has been increased in our last, uh, you know, last year and especially last few months because the region in Europe, South East European region, uh, are, are, are desperately needs this gas coming from alternative source via new routes yeah. and they 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 increased gas inputs from Azerbaijan and this this trend will be continued in, in the following months and years. Um, uh, even more uh, from 2027, the European Union is planning to double gas inputs from Azerbaijan, you know, from yeah. 10, 10 10 BCM to bring it to 20 BCMA. Eh? Um, yeah. And with oil, uh, oil transportation, the same, um, you know, Azerbaijan's continuing uh, exporting oil to bird markets uh, through the Baku Tbilisi Jehan. And moreover, mm -hmm. uh, it's also increased uh, oil uh, transportation from Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan after the war in Ukraine. You know, it's, it, it's been quite difficult for these countries uh, to export their, you know, crude and products via Russia. So Kazakhstan increased actually tremendously it's oil transport via Azerbaijan, Baku Tbilisi Jehan pipeline, and Turkmenistan increased oil product uh, export via the same route. Okay, so that's uh, definitely uh, at least uh, a sigh of relief for the oil and gas markets, um, not to have any more supply disruptions. Um, thank you for that. Uh, Daniel, so of course, I have to ask you with the most obvious question first, um, which is uh, what we have seen transpire between um, the US and Iran in recent days and weeks. Uh, there's been a, an ex a prisoner exchange. Iran has released uh, American prisoners, and we understand that uh, the US in return has uh, unfrozen about $6 billion of, of Iranian funds. Um, could you... Uh, could you walk us through what do you see is the main key significance of this uh, development and in terms of, especially in terms of Iranian flows into the global oil markets? Hello and good morning, everybody. Mark, Nira, and you, and uh, of course. Uh, regarding the new deal within Iran and America, I believe it's part of a bigger deal, which cannot be considered limited to the... Um, actually releasing some, some prisoners and also releasing some uh, frozen funds in Korea or elsewhere. Uh, technically, it's said that uh, the, the frozen assets of Iran in Korea or in Iraq uh, are going to be delivered to 
Qatar and also Oman, and those 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 funds will be used for importing humanitarian goods, including medicine, food ingredients, and blah blah. So, so that would be a very big money for importing such amount of goods. You know, I don't believe Iran has the the the, the, necessi- the necessary needs of something. You know, uh, f- first let me tell you something. The money is not limited to those six billion dollars, as Iranian officials emphasize. They're telling that it's about twenty-three billion dollars something, because it's not it's not limited to the to the six billion dollars of Korea, but but they're not they're not very clearly telling us what the money exactly is and which banks are are involved in that. But as long as I'm concerned, the six billion dollars are already transferred from Korea to Qatar and they're transferred to the Iranian bank accounts in Qatari banks. So Daniel, just to make sure, sorry, that I understand mm, you correctly and mm. and as do our our viewers, are you saying that the release of this 6 billion is part of a release of a total of $23 billion, which is is going to come about? Right, it is said so. Um, But, you know, different officials. Oh dear, we lost him just at the crucial answer. Have you lost him, Madeline? Yes, we lost him. I think uh, he's just coming we back. Do, okay, we do know Daniel was having trouble logging on earlier as well. Okay, well, I, I hope um, we can get him back and, and get the million dollar or billion dollar answer uh, back from him. But uh, for the time being, um, let me go back to you, Mark. Um, and let's talk a bit about uh, Europe's gas situation and in general, Europe's uh, energy supply situation going into uh, autumn and and winter months. Um, We had the um, Australian LNG strikes, and well, one of them is still on the the Chevron uh, facilities. Um, And we've seen quite a few uh, days of spikes in the TTF uh, gas prices in Europe. And then some of it rippled through to diesel and crude as well in in the weeks gone by. Um, Now, of course, none of us uh, can predict the weather. Uh, But to the extent that you have visibility on Europe's uh, plans for securing that gas and LNG and diesel needs, um, how do you see this winter panning out for the region in terms of energy supply? Well, um, they they had uh, their gas reserves, what what they can stock already stocked by beginning of August. So there was no problem there. The bad news on that front is the main reason they've got it totally stocked is demand destruction. If you look at, um, say, um, energy intensive industries in Germany, um, chemicals, fertilizers, that's such like um, output is down 20 to 25 percent year on year. Um, <clears throat> other industries, I would stress, actually have dealt with the situation. Their demand is less but their output hasn't fallen because they are basically taking energy saving measures. Um, In terms of uh, uh, what the outlook is for for the winter, uh, as you said, I I don't know what the winter is going to be like. Um, My my guess at the moment is that it's probably going to be warmer rather than colder. And so the pressure shouldn't be there. I think the, the bigger issue for Europe is basically the, the signs of a downturn, particularly in the German manufacturing sector, you've got the PMI sub 40, not sub 50. 
um, mm. and all of the other ones in the low 40s, it really does underline just how much of a carryover effect from the price shock there's been. Basically, for a lot of businesses in Europe, which are energy intensive, they basically had to reconsider whether they want to restart up. Yes, gas prices have come down. Yes, power prices have come down. But they don't feel any confidence that there won't be another shock at some stage. And while they're looking at oil prices at the moment, they're probably feeling and we're justified in that. Mm. Where, where where do you estimate the so-called destruction in, in gas demand? So let's say compared to 2021, what percentage of European gas demand do you think is, is gone? And is it permanently gone? Uh, I would suggest it's in the region of at least 10%. Um, and I would I think it could well be permanently gone. You also have to balance this out a little bit because some of the lower gas demand is also due to the fact that this summer it was hot, so solar was good. It was windy, so wind power was much less unreliable than it has been. So to a certain extent, it's a function of two things. One, the, the um <clears throat> Uh, residual effect from the previous hikes and two because renewables are taking an increasing part of power yeah. supplies but in the winter months obviously that's not necessarily going to be the case right okay yes uh the wind and, and solar is not a support in the winter months uh welcome back daniel I, I hope our, your connection uh, stays with all of us this time around. Uh, please do continue. You were talking about, I, I asked you if the $6 billion was just uh, the beginning of a process of unfreezing uh, $23 billion, I believe you mentioned. Uh, you're on mute, I think, Daniel. Hello? Yes, we can hear you. Okay. Um, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, sorry. Uh, yes, yes, I, I believe so. It is said that the, the, the unfreezing of the $6 billion is a part of a bigger unfreezing Iranian assets, mostly from Iraq, left there or kept there for the, for the gas, uh, the, for the price of the gas Iran exported to Iraq. And uh, considering that there is an, uh, another agreement between Iran and Iraq regarding the repayment of the uh, the Iranian gas money in Iraq, and where, where Iraqis uh, since now on are going to pay the the, the money to Iranians via uh, actually a sort of barter deal, uh, selling actually exporting uh, uh, fuel oil to Iran and, and heavy oil, uh, um, um, what what they call it black oil in Iran. To Iran, mm -hmm. anyway. Uh, so, so there, I think, I think there is an opening in Iranian financial resources around the globe that could be a part of a bigger deal between Iran and the United States. Maybe, maybe related to the atomic program. Of course, should be related to the atomic program of Iran. And and I think, uh, anyway, considering the situation in in Ukraine, the war around uh, going 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 on there and. The crisis is not going to get to an end very soon. Iran maybe has decided to reach a sort of deal with Americans, and that's not going to be something very similar to the JCPOA, the, the, the previous agreement. But something maybe, maybe uh, the two sides have decided to 
reduce the tensions and, and probably the Iran-Saudi uh, uh, rapprochement is a part of that as a sort of as a bigger picture. You can see Iran is, is, is making a deal with Saudi Arabia, reducing tensions with its neighbors. And I believe uh, I believe the, the deal with Americans could be could be understood under that context context mm. and, and 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 probably that the situation would help Iran to export more oil, especially to China as it's doing right now. But mm. uh, Iran is also looking after some new markets. You know, Iran is exporting something well 100,000 barrels per day to Venezuela and mm-hmm. something less to Syria. Iran mm-hmm. is also seeking to, to invest in, in Uganda and uh, uh, refining sector so it can, it can create a capacity for its exports also to elsewhere. There was some negotiations between Iran and, and Indonesia for, for, uh, for facilitating some exports to, to Indonesia as well. So I believe uh, considering the situation, 1.5, uh, 1.5 million barrels of exports to, to Shandong, to, to China, uh, mm-hmm. there would be no, no super extra uh, uh, spare capacity for exporting mm. to other destinations, maybe 300,000 miles per day, something. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, actually you, you just answered in your last part what was going to be my next question on uh, how much more uh, uh, scope do you see for Iran to increase its production and perhaps more relevant for the global markets to increase its uh, its exports. Where, where, do you, where would you estimate uh, current Iranian production and exports, Daniel? Uh, I believe Iranian production at the moment is about uh, three, three billion, three sorry, three million two hundred thousand barrels something, and okay. maybe less. And the exports is about two million barrels. But but you know, considering the methodology, different mm-hmm. different uh, uh, companies, Tanker Trackers, Kepler, FGE, Vertexa have different estimations. But but. Yeah. Uh, Based on my estimations at the moment, Iran is exporting something a little bit less than two million barrels. Okay, okay, thank and, you. I'm sorry, and, and please, and please consider that that Iranian refined exports is something about one million barrels per day. Okay, and those go yeah. mostly to uh, Venezuela, or the, the, the refined products. No, the refined products, the LPG, mostly goes to China. Mm-hmm. The, 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 <clears throat> some other products goes to Africa, Pakistan, Yemen, uh, everywhere, Sudan, oh, Somalia. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, I think but, I remember reading LPG goes, some LPG goes to, quite a bit of LPG goes to Pakistan as well uh, on, mm-hmm. on land route, right? Right, oh, right, right. Okay, got that. Okay. Um, Madeline, shall we just have the uh, survey question? And then uh, before I turn to Gulmira again with my next question. Okay. So uh, Brent, as we speak now, is trading around $92.56. The question for today is, uh, is the $100 mark off the radar now, or is it still likely before the end of this year? Please have your say. We're only talking about the next uh, three and a bit months or so. Um, okay, um, Gulmira, turning back to you. Uh, so we spoke earlier, Mark, uh, with Mark about um, the, the current, the, the coming winter supply situation in, in Europe, and of course that has 
quite a lot of the other consuming countries around the world on tenterhooks as well. I mean, certainly Asia here and LNG importers suffered quite a lot last year as uh, Europe pulled in quite a lot of um, extra LNG uh, tons. But um, take us through your view of what happens in the next, let's say, five to 10 years. How do you see uh, Europe's energy mix and where, assuming, of course, that uh, it is not going to get uh, Russian pipeline gas supply back. How do you see the uh, European gas supply situation panning out in the in the medium to longer term? Uh, well, with regards to supplies, I think, uh, uh, yes, uh, Russian gas seems to be out of the European market and the Europe will, you know, uh, uh, pay more to input gas coming from uh, uh, other alternative sources and some sources would be new like, uh, you know, Azerbaijan and uh, Azerbaijan started exporting gas to Europe from 2021. But as I said, there are new fields under developments in the country that will provide extra gas to Europe. And likewise, you know, uh, 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 that, that's going to be uh, other potential supplies that could uh, uh, add to gas uh, gas uh, inputs of Europe. So uh, uh, it's also North Africa, which is uh, a little bit seems to me uh, challenging because again, African uh, uh, gas demand is growing, especially the Algerian gas demand. And although Algeria also committed to increase its gas export to Europe, mainly to Italy and Spain, but it, it seems that it's gonna be very challenging challenging and uh, uh, given the you know uh, uh, those cha challenges of de developing those fields uh, and and demand the uh, rise uh, I think um, again this is this is questionable whether a North African countries and especially Algeria will be able to increase its gas export to Europe. LNG is definitely uh, a very, uh, you know, um, a strong and reliable source for uh, Europe to replace Russian gas. But but the question here is, is the price, you know, what, what the European buyer, what price will pay to input uh, gas uh, in the form of LNG or from new sources? Um, with regards to demand, I think uh, uh, demand obviously is going to be uh, uh, falling in the next few years, uh, again, as Mark said, because of the efficiency measures, uh, the, uh, demand cut and demand disruption, again, coming back to this uh, question, I think, uh, yeah, it's exactly not reduction, but it's disruption, which means that uh, uh, these volumes of gas may, may, may gone and, and it will not return to the market again. And that's what we are, uh, we've been, uh, you know, uh, saying in the in, in the German market, uh, lots of industries, they, uh, they are moving away from Germany and it's a huge big industries like bus and other big companies. So they're moving away to uh, other parts of the world, <clears throat> the US, China and, and other countries. So uh, this demand uh, distraction will, uh, 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 will cause some demand uh, fall in, in Europe. But uh, in general, I think, uh, uh, again, depending on the weather conditions and, and, and this upcoming winter and the following winters, I think 
uh, uh, still uh, uh, supply security uh, will be will be in place. You know, uh, still some Russian gas is flowing to Europe uh, via uh, the Turkish stream, uh, and and that's going to be increased in the following months, especially in winter time. Uh, so uh, Russian gas is not completely out of the market. Um, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, uh, I don't I, I don't see any major. Uh, problems in in gas supplies to Europe in the coming years. Isn't there some fear? I, I don't know how valid it is, but isn't there some fear that uh, maybe Russia could, uh, as part of this escalating energy weaponization, pull the plug on on even the remaining pipeline gas supply that's going into into Europe? Isn't that what's driving a bit of a panic situation as well in in the European market? Well, at the moment, what we are what we are seeing is that uh, Russia is is planning to stop its uh, export of gas to Europe via Ukraine, but is increasing its export via Turkish Stream. So countries like, let's um, say, Hungary, uh, Bulgaria. Uh, some Balkan states, including Serbia, they are still receiving Russian gas because uh, they are in a very difficult situation. Uh, uh, they, they, they can't afford uh, to completely stop importing Russian gas, uh, you know, via Turkish stream, because at the mo very moment, they don't have any alternative, even, even uh, uh, you know, some alternative to import gas from neighboring European countries because the mm. infrastructure is not in place yet or the existing interconnectors, uh, you know, they don't provide a sufficient capacity for them to import gas from neighboring countries. So especially Hungary is a very difficult situation at the moment, uh, which cannot completely stop Russian gas import. So I think for some time, uh, Russian gas exports both flow to those countries, you know, via Turkey uh, in the following months, maybe a, a year. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Russia, Europe and Turkey, they have to find the ways to uh, to either continue uh, the, the, uh, you know, exporting Russian gas in the form of some, some new, new, new form, of, let's say, you know, via this planned Turkish hub, or some other mixed this Russian gas with some gas coming from other sources, or uh, com completely stop under the pressure of the European Union uh, yeah. and impose all those sanctions. And but uh, speaking about sanctions on Russian gas, you, Europe still uh, you know importing a lot of Russian LNG, which are not sanctioned. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I think I guess it's not sanctioned because actually the owners of that LNG plants and shareholders. Uh, uh, some foreign companies, including Chinese, Japanese, and other European companies. And those companies are not paying any taxes in Russia because, uh, for instance, Novatec projects, uh, LNG projects are afraid of uh, taxes. They, they're, 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 they're tax-free in, in Russia. So I think this is the reason, one of the reasons why the European Union is not sanctioned LNG projects. But uh, I think, uh, if you were Russian, uh, uh, gas will still continue flowing to that countries that I mentioned in, in Europe. Okay, so um, we are almost out of time. Let's have uh, the survey results. Um, see what the room thinks. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Talk about unpredictability, right? Okay. Um, and I suppose we'll be posting this um, on Twitter as well, and, and we'll see what a, a 
wider survey participants if they feel the same way, completely split on that century mark, whether it's going to be um, reached this year or not. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for a, for a very enlightening discussion. Uh, all my three guests, uh, Mark Oswald, uh, Gulmira Rezaveva, and Daniel Rahmat. And of course, thank Mark. you for all those of you who tuned in. Um, have a great day ahead.